Over a decades-long history with gang violence. The man fatally shot in a North Vancouver parking lot is identified as a high-level gangster. Plus... BC Prosecution Service has approved one charge of sexual assault. Police are crediting the power of the public for the arrest of a sexual assault suspect after repeat offenses. And... The 90-day suspension is automatic in BC for blowing a fail into a roadside breathalyzer. Why a vehicle registered to the Premier of Saskatchewan has been impounded in BC. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Homicide investigators have identified the victim of Friday afternoon's daylight shooting in North Vancouver. Milad Rahimi was gunned down in a busy grocery store parking lot. As Amadagahi reports, investigators are now piecing together Rahimi's past to figure out who robbed him of his future. This is a picture of Mr. Rahimi. 34-year-old Milad Rahimi is the man shot and killed in the parking lot of a North Vancouver grocery store. Homicide investigators are now releasing his name and photo to further what they say will be a lengthy investigation into the gangster's death. I can tell you that Mr. Rahimi was known to police and we believe this is a targeted shooting. We're talking about an individual who has over a decades-long history with gang violence and ties to both local, interprovincial, national and international uh, groups. Friday afternoon, police stormed the parking lot of this superstore on Seymour Boulevard. Reports were multiple shots had been fired and the victim they found suffering from gunshot wounds could not be saved. Without doubt, this is extremely alarming for the community. This is a peaceful community and this is a grocery store where Families bring their kids every day. We were on the last day uh, before spring break. You know, it was, it was extremely dangerous. Police occupied the scene for hours, gathering evidence well into the night. Now there is also information on the suspect getaway car. Which is described as a newer model, dark blue Mazda 3 hatchback. In the first hours after the shooting, police were seen choking traffic on the Ironworkers Bridge, but did not spot the suspects. So anyone who was on Highway 1 in that area yesterday between 2.30 and 3 o'clock, whether you were going east or west, if there was a vehicle that you remember that looked like this vehicle and was driving erratically, speeding, um, get in touch with IHIT immediately. Police are also offering victim services to anyone who may have been there and may have witnessed a gang shooting. Emadagahi, Global News. A mission man has been charged in connection with the sexual assault of a woman on a North Vancouver trail last month. Turn around. Turn around. What makes you think it's okay to smack me in the ass? The alleged victim recorded video of the suspect in the February 13th incident at Lynn Canyon Park. She says she was sexually assaulted while hiking on the Varley Trail. She called 911 twice and eventually drove herself to the detachment to report it. Mounties apologized, saying a number of high-priority life and safety calls came in at the same time. This past Thursday, RCMP released the suspect's photo, and on Friday, 22-year-old Jarius Paul Kovacha Sacramento was arrested at a worksite in Abbotsford. 
He has since been charged with one count of sexual assault. He was actually in Abbotsford uh, at the time of the arrest, and he was arrested at a worksite location uh, in the Poplar Hills area, which is close to McCallum Road and Highway Number 1. These kinds of incidents are upsetting for the community. Uh, they violate a, a very personal sense of safety and security, and they can be uh, really impactful to people's sense of, of safety in the community. And so we wanted to come back to the community today to announce that we've made this arrest and that, uh, that Mr. Sacramento is now facing one charge of sexual assault as a result of the information that came forward from the public. Now to a Global News exclusive. A vehicle registered to the Premier of Saskatchewan has been impounded in Vancouver. And as Kristen Robinson reports, the driver behind the wheel, who was not the Premier, was stopped by police for alleged impaired driving. The alleged incident involving a vehicle registered to the Saskatchewan Premier occurred early Thursday in downtown Vancouver. Vancouver police say just before 1 a.m. on March 10th, they stopped a 28-year-old man with a Saskatchewan driver's license near Robson and Burrard after he allegedly ran a red light. Officers conducted an impaired driving investigation. The driver allegedly failed a roadside sobriety test, according to the VPD, and was issued an automatic 90-day driving suspension. The vehicle, a Chevy Silverado with Saskatchewan plates, was impounded for 30 days and towed to this yard. Anybody who provides a breath sample into a roadside breathalyzer that registers a fail or anybody who refuses to comply with a roadside breathalyzer demand will receive an automatic 90-day driving prohibition and 30-day impound, regardless of their previous history. In this case, the VPD says the driver was also ticketed for a red light violation. No impaired driving charges have been laid. Scott Moe's office confirms a vehicle registered in his name was impounded in B.C. this week and it will not be commenting further on the personal matter. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A woman has been charged in connection with the stabbing of a Surrey Police Service officer earlier this week. The officer was stabbed Wednesday night while arresting a female in the 12300 block of 99A Avenue. The officer was released from hospital and is now recovering at home. 27-year-old Kimberly Mendoza Rodriguez is facing charges related to assaulting a peace officer. She's been remanded into custody while awaiting her next court date. Once kindergarten to 12 students in B.C. return to school following spring break, the mask mandate will be lifted, but some teachers are making it clear that masks are still welcome in the classroom. Surrey teacher Annie Ohanna took to Twitter to share the health-first signs she's posting in front of her classroom. She's encouraging a positive mask-wearing environment. Building on what Dr. Henry said about masks being a personal choice, Ohanna says with the spike in anti-Asian hate crimes, ongoing health issues students and staff may have, and within the multi-generational families many live in, there needs to be a role model so education doesn't come at the cost of one's health. The future of the planet on the minds of climate activists in downtown Vancouver. Welcome to the future. They call themselves the Ministry of Just Transition, pushing for action on the climate emergency. A few hundred people showing up at the Vancouver Library to learn about climate actions and to project themselves three years into the future. 
imagining that in 2025, a new government is in power and has moved quickly on climate change, setting their sights on their first target. On its very first day of office, cancel Trans Mountain. That was just the beginning. With the pipeline coming, becoming a thing of the past, we moved forward to the work of repairing relationships with communities and restoring the role in governance. As we say in government these days, transition is inevitable. Justice is up to us. And the Vancouver demonstration is one of many days of action on the issue of climate change across the country today. Yasmin Gandam has more on what climate activists in the South Okanagan urged Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to take action on. A metaphorical ribbon-cutting led by West Kootenay MP Richard Cannings meant to symbolize a future full of greener jobs. You know, that's, those are the kind of big things we have to do. Cannings was joined by leaders of First Things First, an Okanagan-based organization dedicated to encouraging the public and government to take action on climate change. And then in 2022, the war on Ukraine by Russia made the world realize even more the dangers of oil, gas and coal industries on world peace. The rally held outside of Penticton Service Canada building is a call to action for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to pass the Just Transition Act. And we know that, this, that uh, the climate emergency is here and now and we needed to rally uh, because we need government action at this point. There's only so much we can do as individuals, as municipalities, even at the uh, provincial level. There are things that the federal government simply has to enact. The Just Transition Act would ensure job training is readily available in industries that promote clean energy. The goal is to wind down coal and oil projects across the country. We've gone past the point of talking. Uh, we can see that the oil and gas industry and the coal industry is causing wars, as well as health issues, as well as climate um, uh, events around the world. And if we don't take action immediately, we will have a very di dire future. Rally goers performing poems about the importance of climate action. A good hard look at myself. That's who I am. From the youngest to the oldest all sharing a collective call to action. Yasmin Gandam, Global News. Coming up after the break, closing in on Kyiv. I'm sorry, but I'm really sorry for my country and nobody could expect this, really. Despite deaths and suffering increasing, how the Ukrainian government is refusing to surrender. Their positions are um, more aligned with these foreign actors. Plus, the concerns about Ukraine war coverage on a Chinese radio show in the Lower Mainland. Now to the war in Ukraine. Russians are inching closer to Ukraine's capital of Kyiv. Meanwhile, fighting rages in Ukraine's south as well, close to the Russian border. Ukraine's president says 1,300 Ukrainian troops have died since the fighting began. And as Abigail Beeman reports, as casualties mount, the government insists Ukraine will not surrender. Bombing intensifies closer and closer to the Ukrainian capital. 
We weren't doing a thing, this man says, struggling to understand why his village was destroyed. According to British intelligence, Russian ground forces are just 25 kilometers from Kyiv. We are ready to negotiate, but we are not going to accept any ultimatums and surrender. Meanwhile, in the south, Ukraine says Russia has captured Mariupol's eastern edges. I don't know where to run. Who will bring back our children? This mother asks, clutching one child, another killed by shelling. Buses line up to try and bring aid, a complicated mission, while the UN is worried about reports of looting and violence out of desperation for supplies. More than two million Ukrainians have already left their country. I can't speak without tears. I'm sorry, but I'm really sorry for my country. And nobody could expect this, really. This is awfully awful things. While others don't want to leave. They don't see the future for them, that nobody is waiting for them anywhere, so they want to stay there. But we are trying to tell them that you guys have to leave everything and run. Leave everything and run, afraid of what may come next if they don't. Abigail Beeman, Global News, Ottawa. Okanagan residents banding together today to show their support for Ukraine and to raise money to help send medical and military supplies overseas. The group started in Kelowna, then traveled to Vernon for a second rally, where dozens more gathered in support. Organizers say they have already sent thousands of dollars worth of supplies to Ukraine, but are in need of more medical supplies and aid. The easiest way to help is financial donation because we find, uh, find the best uh, ways and prices and so on, and we need some money to send it. But if uh, somebody would like to donate some stuff, any technical supplies, used ones including, uh, so medical supplies only the, for the field medicine, used to, to treat wounds like I was showing polysporin and so on. A former Richmond MP says he's worried that a local Chinese radio show has been offering a distorted view on the war on Ukraine. As Paul Johnson reports, he's calling on Ottawa to be more vigilant so that our public airwaves don't become a venue for wartime propaganda. Since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, much of the media coverage you've seen about Canada's reaction, including from this station, has been images like this. But other media outlets you may be less familiar with have been offering a very different picture, according to former Richmond MP Kenny Chu, who says we ought to be paying closer attention to what they're saying. All the discussion that I've heard has been single-sided. Chu is talking about AM 1320, a Richmond-based station that offers Cantonese language shows. In this recording from Saturday morning, Chu says the host was saying the freezing of Russian assets by Western governments amounts to a form of theft. While Global News has not independently confirmed the translation of this segment, Chu says since the invasion began, some of the station's hosts and callers have consistently portrayed the war in a way that he believes is intentionally misleading. I don't have any smoking gun to prove that. Um, it is extremely difficult to prove. But on the other hand, their thinking are aligned very well, if not completely, with uh, something being circulated and starting from the People's Republic of China. 
One established fact, though, is that China is Russia's most important ally. And the invasion of Ukraine puts Beijing in an awkward place, not wanting to ditch an ally at war, but also needing to stand by its long-stated respect for the sovereignty of other countries. AM 1320 told Global News they're an award-winning station that's been successfully broadcasting since 1973, that they actually offer a Ukrainian language program online and care very much about Ukraine. It has been an anti-Western mouthpiece. For his part, Chu says the station should be able to say anything it wants. But if there's coordination with a foreign government, which he suspects but cannot prove, that's a red line that shouldn't be crossed. In Richmond, Paul Johnson, Global News. Coming up, why China is reimposing new COVID lockdown measures. Plus, the fee coming to Uber fares and deliveries as gas prices skyrocket to record highs. And the new program pushing to fill gaps for Indigenous people living with HIV. Still more volatility in the price of gas today around Metro Vancouver with a price drop at many stations. This was a look at some of the prices this morning with most stations sitting around 195.9 a liter, down a few cents from Friday. But gas analysts believe it will jump again by another five cents on Sunday and will hover around $2 a liter until at least Wednesday. Surging gas prices now have Uber adding a fuel cost surcharge for its services. The company says the proceeds will go directly to drivers. But as Global's Morgan Campbell reports, many are questioning if the fee will go far enough, given how much prices have risen. If you are a regular user of Uber apps, you may notice a slight increase in your ride or food delivery. The company has announced a new fee to help drivers and delivery people offset the cost of record-breaking gas prices. It's fine. Yeah. I'll pay it. Beginning next Wednesday, rideshare riders will pay a 50 cent surcharge on every ride. Those ordering delivery will see a fee of 35 cents on every delivery. This relief, while any relief is, is helpful, it just isn't enough. Brees Soper is the vice president at Gig Workers United. He says the temporary surcharge doesn't go far enough to combat the low wages as many are looking to get out of the industry adding that the company needs to commit to better wages. They have to do a kind of cost-benefit analysis of how important is it to them to keep these prices artificially low. At a certain point, they their service will become so unreliable that they're going to have to do it anyway. So either they can do it today or they can do it tomorrow, but it's going to have to happen. And the move has mixed reaction from users on the streets. I think shouldering that on riders and then even putting the drivers in an awkward position too. Yeah, I think that Uber makes enough to be able to handle that. As long as it made sense and they weren't like gouging us or if it wasn't getting to the drivers. I believe in systemic responsibility and it should be up to the company to offset those costs, not the consumer. In a statement, Uber says it will continue to monitor the gas price situation in the coming months and may adjust the fees while they are in place. We know drivers and delivery people are feeling the sting of higher prices at the pump. Uber maintains that the fee increase will only be in place for the next 60 days, which is in line with gas price predictions. The price of fuel is expected to increase to $2 a liter 
in April. As Canada and other Western countries start to lift COVID-19 restrictions, China is reinstituting new lockdown measures in parts of the country. Chinese officials have offered the 9 million residents of the northeastern city of Changchun into lockdown amid a spike in COVID-19 cases attributed to the Omicron variant. Elsewhere, the public is being urged not to leave Beijing and has closed schools in Shanghai. And in Hong Kong, officials warned its outbreak has yet to peak. As of Friday, 588 new confirmed cases have been reported with no new deaths. China is sticking to the zero-tolerance approach it has enforced for most of the past two years. A new program has been launched in B.C. to increase HIV prevention and intervention within B.C.'s Indigenous communities. Culture of Care aims to unite elders with cultural workers to raise awareness about the issue. They aim to hold weekly cultural events, ceremonies and meals in hopes of improving HIV care, treatment adherence and rates of viral suppression. Lessons learned from the program will be shared with various HIV service and harm reduction organizations to better serve Indigenous communities. This program is about trying to use culture as care as the intervention to reinforce a positive identity among people that are accessing a non-Indigenous agency which has limitations in terms of uh, uh, trying to provide support and uh, prevention and education. Coming up, tips for parents ahead of March break to keep kids occupied. Plus, the section of the seawall now reopened after months of post-storm repairs. Stay with us. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Well, after several weeks of repairs, a portion of the Stanley Park seawall has now reopened to the public. The Vancouver Park Board says the stretch between 2nd Beach and 3rd Beach damaged during that winter storm is now repaired, but officials are warning some sections might be a bit uneven or unpaved as the finishing touches are yet to be done. The seawall has had a rough year damaged by several storms. The sections between 3rd Beach and the Lionsgate Bridge remains closed to the public. Keeping kids busy during March break. Some tips for parents right after weather. But first, a reminder that much of the province moves their clocks forward to daylight time on Sunday. That means many of us will be changing our clocks forward by an hour before going to bed tonight. Premier John Horgan passed legislation three years ago to allow the province to permanently stay on daylight time. But he says B.C. won't scrap the time change without Washington, Oregon and California also doing so. All three of those states have made uh, commitments to move in that direction. Oregon and Washington have passed legislation, but they require congressional approval in Washington, D.C., to uh, suspend the, the changing of clocks uh, twice a year. Uh, it, the good news is that Senator Patty Murray from Washington is now co-sponsoring a bill. We're hopeful that it will pass this year, and this may well be the last time that we spring forward. 
All right, as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Schell for a look at the forecast, well, that means we'll be getting more of that daylight and sunshine when we see it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, quite a, it's a nice toss-up just for that hour tomorrow, but be prepared. And yes, before you go to bed tonight, make sure you set those clocks one hour ahead. Right now, we're tracking some rainfall. This will take us in at heavier times this evening. And then easing off, we've got a bit of a low in the action for our Sunday, and I'll show you what that means in just a moment. But the temperatures are currently sitting at 7. We've got the rain out of the airport and easterly wind at 9 kilometers per hour. Some heavier pockets right now, especially near White Rock, we'll continue to see that overnight. And then by the morning hours, I anticipate we'll have a break across Metro Vancouver with just a slight chance for some showers. Here's what it looks like overnight tonight. Temperatures will dip down to 6 degrees. We'll have a mainly cloudy sky for tomorrow. 30% chance of a shower. Double-digit temperatures up to 11 degrees. And then another round of rain. This will likely be heavier with more precipitation overnight and a soggy start for Monday morning. Now, here's the weather maker that we're tracking this evening. In behind it, this is Sunday leading in towards our Monday and that's bringing in more moisture across the region. Heads up if you're traveling along the mountain passes, higher elevations two and up to four centimeters still possible with snowfall tapering off through the day and then picking up once again towards the evening. So tomorrow morning a bit of a lull in the action and then that rain picks up once again towards the evening and that'll be for our Monday. Rainfall amounts have taken this into late Monday night but just an idea with higher amounts especially along the North Shore Mountains where we could see upwards of 50 millimeters so a heads up. Now, the northern half of the province along coastal areas, it'll be wet and windy. Temperatures will be up to 8 for areas near Prince Rupert. Chilly for the northeastern corners of the province, especially with the wind chill for the early morning hours, feeling into the minus 20s and light snowfall through the day. Increasing cloud cover for the central and southern interior. It's higher elevations that will be seeing that snowfall. And then most areas, with the bulk of the moisture moving in for tomorrow night. Whistler could also see some wet snowfall changing over to rain. And then along the south coast through the afternoon, tomorrow areas along the island starting to see that rain beginning and then heavier at times for all areas across metro vancouver by tomorrow night be prepared it'll be a soggy one for our monday to kick things off many have uh, many kids have spring break next week so far on and off rainfall even to tuesday wednesday the silver lining will be the milder temperatures with highs between 10 and 11 degrees Nathan? and those silver linings we hold on to yes. thanks very much yvonne <laughs> Well, many parents often struggle with finding ways to keep their kids occupied during March break. Charmaine Samani spoke with an Ontario woman who talks about her experience planning for breaks and holidays with her kids. School's out for many students across Canada for March break, which means loads of fun for kids and often loads of planning for parents. It's hard. It's very stressful some days. I work, I do my housework, and then planning a vacation in the middle of this, I can't do it. Sonam Grover is a mom to two kids. She works full-time as a real estate agent and runs her own business as well. Even if I get two hours free and I need that two hours for myself rather than putting that into preparing for that March break. She says March break and other holidays often put a lot of pressure on her. Then you feel bad when they go back to school and you didn't do the things that the other parents did. Parenting and lifestyle expert Maureen Dennis says planning for breaks and holidays may feel less overwhelming if parents focus on creating memories together with their kids rather than creating an extravagant list of activities. We need to find those moments, those little memories that we can create because that's what kids remember. Dennis says it doesn't have to be complicated. Most kids are just looking for quality time with their parents. She recommends doing arts and crafts, science experiments, cooking or baking something from start to end, which may include shopping for ingredients to the final cleanup, 
If the weather is nice, go outside for a walk, to play, or do a scavenger hunt. And finally, ask your kids what they'd like to do. And if you plan to travel or explore your own backyard, dentists recommend selecting places and activities that are not very popular to avoid large crowds and stress. For parents who'll have to work during March break, having a sort of a kid share with friends and or of my kids' friends, parents, and saying, hey, listen, I can take them on Wednesday. Could you take them on Thursday? She says parents shouldn't feel guilty when asking for help. It often takes a village. I think the support system is what we created during COVID to help uh, ourselves do the work and still been able to take care of kids. I think that has helped a lot. Charmaine Samani, Global News. Time already. Put them to work. Yeah, Put them yes. to work. Exactly. <laughs> can be Not the young busy. ones, but once they turn six, <laughs> yes. right, Yvonne? Yes. Then six and up. Yeah. Get them working. All right. Exactly. Those hands dirty. What yeah. have you been working on today, Barry? Uh, well, uh, White Caps are on the road in uh, Houston, uh, playing some soccer down there, of course, and they've been. We're looking for their first goal and their first win. They got one of those, which if you figure it out, you should you should know what happened. They did, they certainly did not get the victory, but they did score. So we'll have highlights of that coming up. And uh, the, take a look back at the Canucks. What a great game last night. I was in the building last night. Great atmosphere. Canucks almost pulled it off against Washington. We'll uh, take a look back at that as well. Overtime nail-biter mm-hmm. indeed. All right, thanks for that, Barry. Also ahead, turned away from Transnistria. The fractured, fragile former Soviet Republic struggling to avoid being sucked into Putin's war in Ukraine. Stay with us. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. Back to the crisis in Ukraine. The border area of Moldova and Ukraine is part of Europe that could be key in the current conflict with Russia. Transnistria is an unrecognized breakaway state controlled by the Kremlin with a military presence that could greatly affect the outcome of the war. Global's Mercedes Stevenson attempted to cross into the region today and filed this report. So we just tried to get, you can see behind us, across the border. Um, into this breakaway region. We were not able to do so because um, we're obviously journalists (laughs) and we have cameras in the back and press ID. Uh, So we were told that if we wanted to cross, we would need to apply to the office um, that grants essentially like visas to be able to visit. Um, Journalists typically are not allowed in even with those visas. So we didn't make it across, but we tried. I'm gonna try to flip the camera around here so you can see. Essentially what happened is we pulled up, uh, they took our passports, went in, they were gone for uh, a while. We're not sure what they were doing at that point, possibly trying to search, figure out who we are. Uh, But we do have a drone and we do have cameras in the back and of course we also have press ID. We don't um, hide the fact that we're journalists with clearly the materials that we have on us. Um, So they did not allow us to enter, but it was quite interesting because we were able to see uh, people in their their Transnistrian uniforms. Um, This is a breakaway republic. It is not internationally recognized, but you could see they're organized um, and it was quite fascinating to watch it. Obviously um, a well-developed process. It looked just like a border post to cross into another country anywhere else. Uh, So unfortunately we did not have the opportunity to see it, but it was a very interesting experience to see how things were handled at the border nonetheless. That was Mercedes Stevenson reporting from Moldova. All right, after this break, Barry's back with the full sports cast and also ahead. After a pandemic pause on door-to-door sales, the changes to the Girl Guide Cookie Spring Campaign. Stay with us.
feed hungry kids in our community. Support hashtag Toonies for Tummies, an initiative benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Donate today at your local participating grocery store or online at grocerydefoundation.com. Surrey Hospitals Foundation needs your help to renew 10 integrated operating rooms at Surrey Memorial Hospital, the busiest surgical site in the Fraser Health region with over 60% of surgeries related to cancer. Learn more and donate at surreyhospitalsfoundation.com. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you want to know, it's on the house. If you want to show, it's on the house. If you want to go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back for the full sportscast. We were talking about how it was a close one for the Canucks last night. You've mm-hmm. got the highlights coming up. But first, what's going on with the Whitecaps? That was a close one for them, too, mm-hmm. on the road down in Houston. Thanks, Nuthi. The uh, Whitecaps were hoping to avoid being roadkill for a second time this season. Tonight in Houston, a couple of weeks back in their season opener, Vancouver got crushed 4-0 in Columbus. They bounced back nicely with a much better effort at home last week in a 0-0 draw with New York City. Let's see if Houston gave them a problem. Brian White did not make the trip, still trying to recover fully from a foot injury. More pressure on Ryan Gall, perhaps, to get some offense going, and he did. He springs Christian Dahomey, who in turns finds uh, Lucas Cavallini, and the Whitecaps have their first of the year. Cavallini knows he needs a big season. That's a nice finish, and you can tell how much it means to Vanny Sartini to get Cavallini going, 1-0 Vancouver, but Houston responds close to offside here, but the flag stays down. It was reviewed. It was okay, and Darwin Quintero has a tap-in for the Dynamo, and it's 1-1, and Houston was back for more. Quintero one more time, but this time goalkeeper Thomas Hassel, nice diving save. It's 1-1 at the half. The early second half, Quintero will strike again and this is a ripper from just outside the box that is a rising missile no chance for Hassal. 2-1 Houston in front Whitecaps did get some chances off the corner kicks Tristan Blackman header is knocked away and before Cavallini can head it in it was cleared by the defender and then off another corner the ball will come out to Ryan Gauld, who will give it a go from 25 yards out, but sails it high over the bar. Whitecaps, pretty good effort, but fall again on the road 2-1. Winless through three matches, 0-2-1, and they are last in the Western Conference right now. I'm okay with the level of uh, the quality of the game that we had today. Uh, Offensively, we needed to be much better in the first half uh, in the pressing because that was the issue uh, that made them tie, basically, because we were up and we probably would, we would, we would probably talk about a different game. But that being said, I don't think that we deserve to lose, to be honest. That's right. They should have had at least a draw. They did play better. Now, the Canucks play a game three of their big seven-game homestand tomorrow night against the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa is in Edmonton tonight to play the Oilers, so at least the Canucks will get them on a back-to-back. Maybe they'll be tired. Canucks mounted a furious third-period rally last night against Washington, coming from 2 nothing down to take the lead only to lose in overtime. But at least they got a point out of it. Third period, uh, I thought we came out and we started. We played 
you know, the way that we're capable of playing. It starts, you know, with the power play, and uh, I thought it was a great comeback in the third. And uh, to be honest, it's a, uh, it, it was a great point. Maybe we didn't deserve it through the first two, but I thought with the third period, it was a great point that we earned. It doesn't feel like we, you know, I mean, we got a point, it's good, but um, I think we're just, I mean, I noticed it after the game, it's a good thing. We're just, we're building something that it's, you know, unacceptable to lose. And, um, you know, maybe a year ago, we're a little bit more happy about getting the point, but right now it just feels like uh, it doesn't feel too good. NHL today, Blues and Predators. Canucks hoping Nashville loses. They could possibly catch them. They're just five points up on Vancouver. A wild game. Blues jumped out 3 nothing, but Nashville roars back. Port New Moody's uh, Ryan Johansson with the one-time blast. He had a three-point game. It was 4-4 after two. Late third, Jordan Cairo. Fantastic pull and drag. Sets up Robert Thomas for the game winner. Blues add a couple into the empty net, win 7-4. Canucks will take that. Vegas, Nashville, Dallas, Edmonton, all teams on their radar, uh, radar rather to catch. Red Wings and Flames from Calgary. Flames 17-3-1 in their last 21. That's why they lead the Pacific Division. First period on the power play, Elias Lindholm allowed just to walk in and fires that wrister. That's his 30th of the season. The Flames outshot the Wings 19-1 to in the period, but just had the one goal. Stayed that way until the third. Another Calgary power play. Matthew Kachuk, a great pass to Tyler Toffoli. What a pickup he's been. Eight goals in the 13 games as a Flame. 3-0 Flames the final. Got some women's we'll hockey Cammy from Prado Pittsburgh, Canada, is. and the U.S. Head and look who's right helping now. out she's the Americans. She's Canucks assistant GM, Cammie Granado, the Hall of Famer. Second period tied at one. Jocelyn LaRock with the big slapper. Nicely tipped in by Blair Turnbull. It's 2-1 Canada. Third period, U.S. now leads 3-2, but Canada on the attack. Captain Marie Philippe Poulain to Jamie Lee Rattray, who snaps it home. It's 3-3. So we need overtime. And who else ends it? Marie-Philippe Poulain. Does anyone score more bigger goals in women's hockey than Poulain? It's got the Olympic gold medal winner uh, three times in her life. Gets a lucky break off the American skate there, but it was still a great play, and Canada wins it 4-3. to three. Indian Wells tennis from Palm Springs. Denis Shapovalov's opening match against Spain's Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. Dennis dropped the opening set but found his rhythm, pounding the ground strokes. Will uh, set up the finish at net, got the break and won the set six games to four. Chapeau starting to feel it now. First match in a few weeks, big serve and forehand winner. And he goes up 3-1 in the third and feeling the return game as well. Swats the backhand return winner, another break, up 4-1. And then on match point. It's a pretty good play. Shapovalov digging out the very tough volley. Takes it 4-6, 6-4, He's on his way to the third round at Indian Wells. Leila Annie Fernandez just getting her first round uh, match underway against American Anna Anisimova. And Leila is down 5-2 in the first at last glance. Briar playoffs from Lethbridge. Saskatchewan's Colton Flash taking on Brad Gushu, who just won a bronze in Beijing. Gushu needs a tough shot to get the win. A long angle raise takeout, but hey, he's a former Olympic champ, a Briar champ, and Gushu, the Newfoundlander pulls it off. Solid as a rock, so Gushu advances to the semis tomorrow. The one-two page playoff is going on right now between Albertans Kevin Cooey and Brendan Botcher. Winner of that goes to the final. The loser plays Gushu in the semi tomorrow morning. 
It has been a weather nightmare in Florida, the path for the Players' Championship. After torrential rain the past couple of days, cold and 50K wins today. Mackenzie Hughes on the famed par 317, playing about 30 yards further into the wind than the yardage says. Hughes uh, finds the water like many did, a double bogey. He's plus four, likely won't make the cut. Adam Hadwin plus one with four holes to go in his second round. He's right on the cut line. Average score today around 75. Justin Thomas had the best round in the harsh conditions. Saves par by chipping in from the rough. And then on the fifth, late in the day, will knock in the birdie. Bogey free, three under 69, tied 13th. Tommy Fleetwood leads at minus six. A lot of players haven't even started their second round yet, and Saturday's already done. They'll do that tomorrow, plus get some of the third round in, and it'll be a Monday finish for sure at the Players. LPGA is in Thailand. Canada's Brooke Henderson had a top 10 last week in contention again. Short birdie here for Brooke and uh, six under 66 for her. Tied for fourth at 18 under. She's just three behind the leader, Nana Kurtz Madsen of Denmark. Final weekend of the Paralympic Games in Beijing and Canada's greatest ever Paralympian, Brian McKeever, went out in style. The 42 year old is retiring, but not after winning his 16th career gold medal in the men's 12.5K visually impaired cross country ski. It was also a great day for Salmon Arms, Natalie Wilkie. Wilkie collecting her third medal at the Beijing Games, winning cross country silver in the women's 10K standing classification. Canada is third in the overall medal count. Eight gold, five silver, 10 bronze. China leads the way and the Paralympics wrap up tomorrow. Cristiano Ronaldo and Manchester United hosting Spurs. Ronaldo put on a show. He's 37, but he's still amazing. 12th minute. How's that from 25 yards out? Fantastic. Smashes it past Hugo, uh, Hugo Lloris. It's 1-0 United. Now 1-1. Ronaldo again. This is a historic. This is his 806th all-time goal, passing Pepe Bicon, an Austrian Czech who played way back in the 1930s. Spurs tied it, but guess who wins it in dramatic fashion? Off the corner, Ronaldo with the header. He can score them in all sorts of ways. Yet another hat-trick for Ronaldo. 3-2, and United remain fourth ahead of Arsenal in the EPL. And we'll show you this from last night. 4A boys from the LEC, Burnaby South Rebels and Walnut Grove Gators. Jimmy Zaborniak with the nice move in the basket here for Burnaby South. And then Zaborniak will set up Yedem Lee. The Rebels blow out uh, the Gators 84-68. So it'll be Burnaby South and Van College in the 4A final. And we'll have highlights of that one and the 3A final tonight as well at 11. And great atmosphere down there in Langley with the fans back. The kids are loving it. It's such a good experience for them. They all missed out on it last year. So we're, we're happy they can have that this year. No kidding. It's so nice to mm -hmm. see. Looking forward to the highlights all there. Right. Thanks for that, Barry. And we'll be right back with the details on a girl guide cookie comeback for the spring season. Stay with us. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to know, it's on the hub. If you want to show, it's on the hub. If you want to go, it's on the hub. The Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online.
All right, just in time for spring break, Girl Guide cookies are back for another season. After two years of COVID-19 halting the traditional fundraising campaign, Girl Guides will return to door-to-door -door sales along with public cookie booths this spring. Volunteers are loading up the classic chocolate and vanilla sandwich cookies at warehouses in Delta, Victoria, Prince George and West Kelowna. Every $5 box supports community programs for Girl Guides aged 5 to 18 in the province. And when COVID first struck in March of 2020, we had just had our cookies delivered in British Columbia that week. So we had to quickly pivot to find ways to sell about $4 million of cookies in BC. Uh, luckily, we had lots of retailers step up to help us stock them on store shelves. But as the pandemic continues to evolve, uh, you know, we really see the value in our girls leading our cookie sales. Our girls enjoy selling cookies. They gain really valuable skills and confidence. <laughs> Just imagining a young Yvonne. Doing I was in brownies. Yeah. We're just saying. Yeah, I ate a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, I wanted to make a correction. Yes. In the high school boys basketball, it should be Semiamu in South Burnaby in the final, not Van College. So I stand corrected. Got It'll it. Never happen again. <laughs> Copy week. that. A reminder to put your clocks forward an hour tonight before you go to bed, Yvonne. On that note, a quick final check on the weather. It is going to be a bit soggy, especially overnight. A few breaks, though. Chance of showers through the day and then heavier rain once again Sunday and taking us in towards our Monday. Have all the outfits ready. Just yes. everything ready to go. You Thanks very much, everybody. Krista Dow will be here at 11.